Hello, welcome to Impact the World, and welcome to our second ever Ask Me Anything episode. So, in this episode, I'm going to be answering questions, most of which were submitted inside reviews on Apple Podcasts. So, thank you to those of you who submitted those reviews. And then we have a few that we've taken from our monthly portal community. So, enjoy today's show, and I hope you enjoy this range of questions that we've curated. And as ever, if you enjoy our show, it really helps if you leave a rating, a review, and subscribe over at Apple Podcasts. And while you're doing it, if you create a question in the review, we will put you on the list to be considered for next time's Ask Me Anything episode. But for today, let's get to what we were asked. Do the Zs know how much of our lives are predetermined and how much we can actually have an effect on? Or do we map our lives before we're born and decide which lessons we want to learn in this lifetime? Okay, so firstly, the Zs are the group of guides that I have been channeling for 23 years, for those of you who aren't familiar with them. There are a couple of different things they have said. So we tend to incarnate with lessons that we are going to learn through a life. So for example, your big purpose in this life might be to learn all about love. And therefore, you might have incarnated to a family where love wasn't the strongest energy in the room, or you might have gone through some very tough lessons around love, so that you eventually graduate the lesson and you become somebody who is very loving, very much in the energy of love. And at that point, when we have, if you like, hit the themes that we were supposed to incarnate for, we have the opportunity to change our destiny and to create differently. So they've explained that we all come in with a blueprint for our soul and what we're here to do. But once you hit that point, sometimes called awakening or enlightenment, depending on the person and the experience, you then get a chance to remain in the body more consciously and get to really alter the course, not just of your life and destiny, but the lives of the others around you too. So the one thing they have said is that this time that we're living in, that we're incarnate in, we're seeing more and more of these many lives in one than apparently we've seen for thousands of years. So when I say many lives in one, if you think back through your life, I don't know about you, but I, I can feel like there have been many lives for me already just in 45 years. So if you feel like you have, if you like completed certain themes in your life so far, and you're living in a freer, more open way, and you're able to create differently, then you've probably graduated most or all of the themes that you incarnated to be here for, and now you get to create destiny differently for yourself and for others. The next question. I am struggling with staying in the heart center when witnessing the extinction of wildlife and destruction in nature. As we are all connected, any guidance regarding this would really help. Hmm. I mean, this is tough. And the truth is there will be some people who won't think much about that. That won't be their area of concern or empathy 
or they'll be oblivious to what's going on. So the very fact that you are having not only a heart resonance, but a heart reaction with this, the one thing that I would say to you, and this is true for any of us in any area of life or the world or relationships that causes us pain or conflict in our heart, what the Zs have said is that we have to use that energy. And again, the classic quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. Use it to fuel yourself to go and work with a group or an organization or begin a group or an organization who are working on behalf of the opposite. So there are some incredible conservation groups out there around wildlife and around nature that you might actually find it heartening to go and lend your energy, your wisdom and your desire to. The thing that's most difficult for us is when we're caught in that middle place, when we're just feeling the pain in our heart and it just sits with us and it sits in our body. Energy wants to move and our energetic reactions give us clues. So your heart is telling you, I can't just sit back and watch this happening. And so you're probably going to be one of the very important people in that area of the world who are going to help take care of being an advocate for that and being a change maker for that. So your heart isn't wrong and there's nothing going wrong with these reactions you're having. If I were you, I would look at it as some clue as to what action can I take? How can I be of help? How can I be of service? How can I get involved? How can I perhaps educate people in my life as to what's going on that they're maybe not yet seeing or thinking about in a way that might make them feel differently and want to make changes? So trust your heart is what I would say and see what action you can bring to this area of our world because you're needed. Question number three. After doing a lot of healing work, I'm beginning to see my dreams come true as a writer. I still have a ways to go and have been visualizing using your healing meditation around healing old wounds and allowing. I have a very clear picture of what I would like to happen. And my question is, is it okay to be specific as to how I would like my future to look and how soon I would like it to happen? I love this question because I think it's, you know, it's, it's common. It's like we, you know, we want, we want this thing to happen. The thing that I firmly believe is never be shy of being as specific as you like in what it is that you would like to bring to yourself. I once worked with a client back when I was still doing one-on-one -on -one sessions and she had a lot of judgment around what she wanted to manifest. And she wanted to manifest something that she thought was too materialistic and wasn't very spiritual. And she was really in conflict with herself about this. But when I pointed out to her that this situation she wanted to create for herself was going to heal a lot of the issues that she'd had in her life, she suddenly saw the perfection of what she was wishing to create. She was trying to create this reality in her life that would literally be a very physicalized remedy of all of these experiences that she'd had where she had been in lack. And what I explained to her was getting that thing will be a key piece of your healing because what will probably happen is you'll get that thing and a lot of the healing work will immediately be taken care of. But equally, 
by having a renewed external circumstance to the ones that you'd suffered through, you'll also get to see where the inner work is still needed and where it's the inner work that really all of the transformation takes place. So if we reverse that, I always say when manifesting anything, it's really good to know why you're manifesting it. So if you want a really, you know, fancy, expensive car, and the spiritual part of you is judging that for so many reasons, all the reasons that you might want to judge having a fancy, expensive car, get underneath what is it that's really underneath that? What, what is that desire trying to heal, trying to give you? And then sometimes when you get underneath the desire, you either no longer desire it, you're like, oh, I don't need it because now I know what I thought that was going to give me or bring me. But equally, sometimes it means it will come to you far faster because you're holding it with a slightly more internalized knowing as to what it would represent for you. But you're holding it lightly because you know that this exterior manifestation, it's going to do something that's important for you, but it's not going to be everything. Nothing external is ever going to be everything for us. But us creating in our lives things that we perhaps feel we shouldn't be creating or we weren't allowed to create or we're not giving ourselves permission to create. Sometimes I say, oh God, just do it in order to free yourself from the judgment, from the concern. Just create it anyway and see how it goes. Now, as for the time frame, the time frame is tricky. Um, our time frames often, so check this for yourself, they often come from some inner discomfort. So for example, if I wanted to manifest a bunch of money right now and I say I need this money in three months, it's because there's some active need or wound or trauma for me that I'm trying to close and I'm trying to close that gap by bringing this external circumstance to myself faster. So again, I might manifest it really fast in three months and then I'll also have to kind of let go of what was underneath the wound because just because our externals change, the internal then has to catch up and transform. It's why many people, when they get the life they want or the dream they want, uh, you know, it's like the horse. Uh, if, you're, if a horse is uh, chasing after you and you stop, they say that the horse will also stop because there's no momentum, there's nothing to chase anymore, it doesn't know what to do. And often our inner body gets like that when we manifest the life we want. We're like, oh, I've spent so many years like chasing. Now what do I do with all this chase energy? Well, now it has to settle and you get to become present. Or because you're so addicted to the chase, you then just create some other dream that you think might fulfill this inner desire. So understanding manifesting is the key to having breakthroughs around manifesting. You're trying to create something outside you always from inside you. There are feelings, thoughts, patterns, behaviors in here that you are trying to move. And so having a real conscious awareness of that and then having no judgment on it, but holding it very lightly. So for example, sure, say you want to manifest it in three months, great, but be willing to understand it might not come to you in three months. The energy of all of this around us knows more than we often do and so we will only get put into certain positions when it's our time or when the circumstances line up with how we're feeling inside. This is why manifesting is a very magnetic thing. It's very much being magnetized and in a magnetic relationship with our inner self. So the beauty of focusing on manifesting, if you focus on it 
as an act of healing and an act of awareness and an act of understanding your inner self is not only does it often help you to manifest faster, but the healing that takes place because you're looking at it through that very aware lens will also give you an even richer experience around the externals. So congratulations on how far you've come. Good luck with where you're going next. And remember, manifesting is a great healing tool. So use it with awareness and it will give you a really rich experience whether you get the thing in the time you want it or not. Okay, question four. If I could ask Lee anything, I would ask how to most gracefully and fairly end a long-term relationship that is emotionally manipulative. Over the last year with the COVID lockdown, I have come to the realization that the 17-year relationship I am still in is toxic. I no longer feel the need for a romantic relationship whatsoever. And I've had a dream for over five years of living on mobile life on the road. There are practical aspects that need to be considered before I can embark on this dream. And one of them is when to tell my emotionally manipulative partner of my plans. I want to be fair and give him time to process the emotions that will come up for him. But I don't want to continue to be victimized by his emotions as I have been all these years. I probably have another three to four months before my house is ready to sell and I can go. How can I be truly fair to him, but also protect myself? Hmm. It's a great question. And I think it's the core of your question is, is very interesting. So first of all, you have a dream that you've long had and you're really clear that this relationship is no longer good for you. That's really important and that can't be negotiated because you've had plenty of time in this relationship. So if anything was going to transform, it's clear that it hasn't so far. And it doesn't sound like at this moment, the two of you are working together to create transformation. It sounds very much like your partner is fixed where he is and you're having to navigate around him. So the piece I just want to address with you, you know, you, you, you talk here about, I want to be fair and give him time to process the emotions that will come up for him. That's something you can't hold yourself to. Because if you're saying that your experience in the dynamic with him is he will be emotionally manipulative, and that's the game that the two of you have played. And I, I don't mean to be disrespectful when I call it a game. I'm just talking in energetic terms, the dynamic between the two of you, then it's probably quite unlikely that he is going to start being fair now. And especially if he doesn't want the relationship to end. So if he's feeling okay about the relationship ending, it will probably be a different story. But if you're anticipating that he is not going to want this, and you say that in the 17 years you've been together, the, the, the pattern between the two of you is he is emotionally manipulative, then if he's upset and he continues his pattern, him processing those emotions in a fair amount of time is, is neither your job, your responsibility, or probably your safety. All relationship endings, unless they are handled in a very conscious, loving way, and both parties are able to find resolution, they all go through some level of grief, some level of release, some level of heartbreak. And this, if you think about it energetically, is, is quite normal. I know we get alarmed about it, but two people who are individual, 
have gone into this unit together and then all of a sudden there's a break in the unit. And especially if one of them doesn't want it, what happens is all of a sudden the separation happens and sometimes even more people get wider apart. And the first experience you have is complete disorientation because you're no longer, your whole balance point from this relationship is gone. So it's quite normal to go through a process of discomfort, grief, shock, pain in this separation. So given the lack of, let's call it emotional mm, equality perhaps between the two of you in the relationship, I certainly would not be expecting your partner to be able to process his emotions in real time while you're there. And it might just be that you having to walk away is what causes that shift for him. And so you can't protect him from his work. That's his work. And you're going to have yours. When you leave, even though you want to leave the relationship, and even if most of the time you feel happy about it, there will still be some stuff to move and release in you that you've been having to stay held in in order to be in this relationship. So I salute you for your courage and for your knowing. And the other thing to remember, because we can get very caught in codependency as lovers, partners, friends, business partnership. One of the things the Z's are always saying is you are supposed to create change as human beings and you are supposed to be able to go off and do other things and trust that the other person is also a citizen of the world. And there are so many of us here and there are so many experiences that we can have. You don't have to fear being locked into something with somebody and that the minute you unlock with that person, you're just going to be lonely. You will create differently when you've healed and when you've got over the grief. So you never know, this might be a gift for your partner too. You can't know what it's going to be for him long term. But if you have such a knowing and such a desire in yourself, you would not be being true to him or fair to him by trying to stay longer in the relationship. So all you can do is trust your feeling and your knowing. And he on his journey, in his experience of being in the world, will figure out what he needs next. So good luck and thank you for your question. Question number five. My question is, when channeling, do you ever feel resistance to what the Zs are speaking through you? To clarify, what if it's something you haven't mastered yet and maybe you're struggling with and they are telling you or guiding you in what to do, but you feel the resistance to it in your solar plexus? Yes? Okay. Uh, yes. Many times, many, many times. Uh, I would say that the biggest resistances I feel um, with the channeling is when I'm channeling for groups, you know, or doing our monthly broadcasts for my portal members um, or creating a recording. The thing about channeling is I usually haven't mastered most of what they're saying. Um, if, I, if I had mastered it, then I guess I wouldn't be in the human body having my human experience. Um, but I do feel resistance and they've even addressed that uh, in real time. Uh, they, they, they've said things like, Lee's not comfortable that we're saying this. And it's true, I'm not. Um, because at the end of the day, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's my identity that it's coming through and so, um, any reaction that people are going to have is also <laughs> going to come to me. Um, that said, the one thing I really trust with them, because I've now been with them 23 years and working with groups and publicly for 17 years, 
I trust their baseline of love and I trust their baseline of peace and I've never heard them say anything to anyone, including me, that is trying to interfere with people's free will or trying to get people to do things that don't suit them or hurt them. So I sometimes feel resistance to some of the broader concepts. Um, uh, for example, if they'll talk about things that are going on in the world that have a very strong emotional charge for people, I feel that emotional charge in my body as that message is coming through because as an empathic person, you know, I'm, I, can, I can sense and feel emotions. So if they're bringing something through that affects a room or a live broadcast in a certain way, my body gets even hotter than it's getting when I'm channeling anyway. And then the other side is the personal. Um, they have given me information that I haven't liked or that I haven't been comfortable with. And I remember very specifically, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and about a year before I moved to California, they told me that my time in Boulder was done and that I had to leave. And I was devastated because I'd been trying to make a life there for a couple of years. And I had some people there that I really loved and still love. Um, and I thought it was where I was gonna stay. But they, they basically said, no, get ready, you're gonna have to leave. So I went through grief for a few months, four months. And then eventually as, as the grief moved, I started to understand why they had said I was going to leave. They didn't force me but I, I had resistance to it. And things like that can happen a lot when I channel for them personally. So what I never ask myself to do is do anything they tell me that I can't get behind. So I gave myself, I think about 10 months with that message. And actually by the 10th month, I had kind of lined things up so that I could try out California. And it, it was clear I was meant to be in California next. And when I look at everything that's happened, meeting Stephen, um, everything that's happened with friendships and work here, it was absolutely the, the right next step for me. But sure, I had resistance on the day, on the day I heard it, I'm like, Rawr. but you know, I've kind of learned that the only times that we ever get information like that is when we're ready to hear it. They're not in charge of our lives. And in much the same way, if you're someone who gives readings or gives intuitive information, I firmly believe, and I experienced this doing, I don't know, 8,000 readings over 15 years, um, that you're only able to bring information through that the other person is ready for or requiring. You're not allowed to interfere with someone else's free will. So I think sometimes we have this mythic idea that um, a channeled entity or an intuitive message is something that we're not actually in collaboration with. But what I've understood is we're allowing that. It's in the field enough that we can hear it. Otherwise, it wouldn't come through. So yeah, sometimes I roll my eyes at them, but not very often these days. And when I roll my eyes, I catch that I'm rolling my eyes and I have to, you know, investigate a little bit what my problem is. Thank you for your question. Next question. I would love to ask a question to Lee and the Z's. If you have an intense energy sensation while listening to a meditation or channel, as I have sometimes with your recordings, what does it mean? Is the body upgrading, integrating, or receiving? As is often the way you've answered your own question. I love that. Sometimes we're upgrading, sometimes we're integrating, sometimes we're receiving. It's a little different every time. But what I have understood, and the Z's talk about this a lot, they say that there is a frequency of energy in channeling, in meditation, 
in all kinds of things where our energy body activates more than our mind. So think of music. You know how music is this incredible, invisible, universal force? And we feel music. And you can't really, how do we explain to someone, well, I listened to this song on Spotify and it made me feel this way. Okay, great. Well, describe how it's composed. Like how, wh what is it that you go, oh, I don't, well, it just kind of moved through my body and it got me moving and, or it made me feel sad or anything that's energetically directed has the same effect. So channeling is, because it's of a higher frequency and it's out of the body, it's an opportunity for you to really expand. So, you know, you close your eyes, you listen to a channeling, and sure, there are words, and with the recordings that we do, there's always the beautiful sound healing music from Davor, but still, there is something in that energy that's allowing you to just widen. So sometimes you are upgrading and you're opening, and then, as is appropriate, you kind of come out of it and you get to ground it in your body and you go back to your daily life and there's this new energy, this new opening that has happened for you. Equally, the healing takes place because sometimes it's reconnecting us to what we remember. So anything that's of use to us is never really about that thing. So uh, it's not about the channeler or the channeled entity, it's about you remembering yourself and it's about you imbibing something that is helping you open a new part of yourself or heal a new part of yourself. That's often why we feel high when we experience channelings or meditations or someone giving you Reiki or even a massage that's moving energy through the body. And, you know, most really good masseurs, um, they're really great energy workers. You know, whether they're saying that or not, they're just, they're used to moving energy through the body and they're really sensitive to that. So. All of these things have a big effect on us. But the one thing I've noticed having worked in channeling for almost 20 years, I believe people who get channeling, because it's not for everybody and nor should it be, um, the people who get channeling and like channeling and receive something through it, they're remembering themselves. They're remembering that intuitive part of themselves that's connected to everything. Doesn't mean all of them are going to start channeling a guide or an angel but all of us are connected to something far bigger than what our human eye can see, our conditioned human eye can see. So for me, when I also have those moments where I feel myself open in a bigger way, uh, a bit less than you know the humdrum routine I might be in with something, it's a chance also for me to remember we're all bigger than we think we are energetically. And you get to, for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, just connect to that and widen your perception. And then when you come back to the world, you, you're a bit more present, you're a bit more open, you're a bit more appreciative, your, your eyes are wider, your heart's a bit bigger. That's the goal. So that's why doing these things regularly changes our frequency and upshifts us. So thanks for your question. This question I think will resonate with many of you. As a highly sensitive person, it feels impossible to have friendships without feeling drained and feels impossible to meet a partner I want to be with. What's behind that pattern? Again, great that you've kind of put that last part in your question because what's behind that pattern is really the key here. Now, as a highly sensitive person, and you've identified that about yourself, yeah, you're probably not going to be, 
going to the Sunday game and, you know, going out to really loud places where everyone's drinking and shouting at each other, that's probably not going to be your way. Doesn't mean you can't do it occasionally or, you know, in certain circumstances. So first things first, expecting to be able to engage in more traditional or more mainstream ways, you should definitely be ruling out. But where you ask what's the pattern that's behind this, for you, it will be, I would, I mean, it's complex, but I would say, look at two things. The patterns of friendship and relationship that you have run in your life historically. So check out where you were people pleasing or where you were um, kowtowing to someone else's way of being or wanting you to do things and you didn't really want to do them, but you hadn't worked out, you were sensitive, so you decided to just do what they wanted. Look at your patterns of behavior in friendships and intimate relationships past and really, really look at them. And, you know, make a few notes, go, oh yeah, in that friendship, I didn't feel great. And what was I doing in that friendship that was allowing that friendship to go on that long? What was I adjusting or modifying in myself? Really important because when you start to know those are your patterns, and I, I've come a really long way, I think, but I still catch, you know, I still catch little things like small versions of people pleasing or small moments where I'll feel myself slightly modifying myself in order to make someone else more comfortable. And then I go away and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You should remember that you can just say what you wanted to say and you, it's important for you to be in the room too. So highly sensitive people like introverts and empaths are often very good at making themselves invisible in a room. The problem with making yourself invisible in a room is you can get sick in the room and then you have to leave the room and recover. So one of the things that people who identify the way you do have to learn is, okay, if, I, if I'm in a room that I'm not feeling very comfortable in, I can either leave or I can ask myself, am I putting myself here enough? Am I saying what I think is true and seeing how the group respond? Or am I kind of being invisible and sitting back and thinking that everyone else in that room knows what I'm feeling and thinking because I'm having a very sensory experience? One of the tricky things for highly sensitive people is to remember that other people can't read your mind. Even if you think you're pretty good at as a sensory person, you will be pretty good at reading and feeling emotions. Doesn't mean you'll know exactly what's going on for everybody or that you don't need to ask them questions. But what is very common is some misperception that you don't have to state your needs. You're like, well, I, that was my partner. I, why should I have to say that? He, you know, he should know, she should know, they should know. Not necessarily. You know, relationships build and relationships grow through the trust and the practice of being together. So we build strong relationships by often going through really tough times with people and recognizing that there was enough safety and communication in the relationship that we could come through it. But it requires communication. So the biggest feeling I have for you in this question is ask yourself, am I fully showing up as myself in my friendships? and in my relationships. And if I've got a history of not doing that, of kind of editing parts of myself out, I'm now gonna to have to go through the uncomfortable but very important work of beginning to insert myself a little bit more and saying what I think is true, even if I know everyone else in the group feels differently. 
can I bring myself to say what's true and then notice, do the group then allow me in? Or do the group next time uh, think to include my way of thinking or feeling? Or do they react really negatively against it, in which case it's a good sign that I'm not with my people. If I'm not allowed to be fully present with this person or group, I probably shouldn't be here. So I think for you, it's not that the partner isn't there or the friendships aren't there. You're an introvert, so you won't necessarily uh, ever want to be in relationships where you don't get to go off and recover and replenish. But definitely for you to look at a little checklist of all the ways in previous relationships you've modified yourself, excluded yourself, disappeared in the room or the relationship that you're in, and make these notes not because you want to sit there and cry about it or get upset, although emotion might move. You're making a map for the future. You're being a scientist of everything that's happened so far, and you're going, oh, wow. In all these relationships, the one thing I constantly did was I stayed silent whenever I felt like they wouldn't want to hear it. So that's something I'm going to have to change. And that's going to make me nervous, because I probably learned to stay silent at a very young age because of some event or relationship that made me feel unsafe to speak my truth. So now I'm going to have to start to work backwards. And I'm going to have to start to gently and at my own pace fill in these relationships in a different way. So it's all perfectly possible. It just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of awareness and support. So good luck with your journey and thank you for the question. How might we begin to heal our relationship to how our face and body look? Probably stay off Instagram, but that's a whole other story. I struggle to recognize myself in photos and feel so disturbed by my own image, though I know others find me beautiful. I just don't see me. I think your question is beyond common to all of us. I think you know, the more I've worked with people, talked to people, I realized that a lot of the dysmorphia that I had growing up as a very overweight kid who then lost all the weight, um, I realized that dysmorphia is everywhere. You know, everybody, everybody has some weird thing about the way they look or, oh, I don't like that photo of myself or, oh, I don't like watching myself on video. You know, I've, I've heard this from so many different people in so many walks of life. And the thing about Instagram, of course, uh, is the whole comparison culture that we have. Um, so I would say for me personally and for a lot of the people that I've kind of witnessed, I think we begin to heal our relationship to how our face and our body look when we put them in the right place and we put them in the right context of our life. Now, if you're somebody who is modeling for a living or you're an athlete, you're going to have a very different relationship to your face and body than to somebody whose face and body aren't perhaps a part of their work or a part of their identity in the world. So the one thing that Z said to me many years ago, and it really helped me, in fact, it was in a group channeling, but you know, I, I also really needed to hear it myself. They said, your face is not for you. They said, your face is not for you. You weren't given the face you have to allow you to sit in front of a mirror and look at yourself for 20 hours a day. That's not what this is about. Your face and your physical representation are designed for others. So how you look is not only a physical representation of yourself, but it will be infused with your energy and your soul. 
which is why often if you've ever seen um, a dead body, it's very strange because they don't look like you remember them when their soul was animating them. Suddenly, yeah, the, the physicality is similar, but it's strange. It's like, wow, they don't, they don't look the same. And it's because that animating energy isn't coming through. So what the Zs were explaining, they said, you shouldn't worry too much about your own face or your own body and how it looks. How it feels to you to be in your body, sure, that's something to be aware of and to see what you can do to help your body feel good to you. But how it looks is the visual, if you like, uh, representation of you in the world for other people. So it was very interesting to me when they said, you're, you're, I think the words were something like, your face is none of your business. Now, I know some people would argue with me about that, especially if you have a very strong relationship with your face, or you're, again, you're an Instagram makeup influencer, or you're an Instagram model, or you know whatever you are, um, then you will have a different identity to your body and your looks. But they were trying to point out that if we only cared as much about how we felt on the inside, and how we were experiencing life, our beauty would shine because we're all unique and we all look a certain way for a reason, but that reason is not usually for ourselves. It's for other people in the world because our looks are so much more than just some level or scale of beauty. They're actually an identifier for others as to who you are as a soul. So the more happy you become as a soul and the more you can find peace with yourself and perhaps for you it's just like, okay, well I'm not really at peace with my body and my looks but I'm just going to be at peace with that. I'm going to let that be okay. I'm not going to fight that anymore. You'll find a certain liberation that will, of course, no doubt make you radiate even more. So I hope that helps and thank you for the question. It's a good one. I want to do an online business on diversity and inclusion to create courses and help the Arab community in that area. I have lots of blocks and fears that I'm clearing on the way, yet the self-doubt still persists. What's your advice to me? Oh, brilliant, brilliant question and love what you're going to do because it's needed, it's important. Um, Whenever we're growing in any way, there is usually some level of self-doubt or a feeling of kind of uncertainty about what you're doing. So you're going to change through doing this work. You're going to grow and who you are today, if you stay with what you want to do, you'll feel very differently, not just about the work you're doing, but about yourself in the work in a year or two. So the self-doubt is just the part of you, the inner voices that are going, I don't know if we can do this and I don't know if this is going to work and I don't know how people are going to feel. Again, we're always trying to keep ourselves safe. That's kind of the ego's job and the ego can be a beautiful thing if we have a right relationship with it and we have an awareness of it and we don't try and kill the ego off or deny the ego its voice. So the self-doubt is just some old part of you going, I've never done this before. And of course, you're creating something. And I would say that if you're trying to bring transformation to any area of the world, I would be shocked if there wasn't some level of transformation for you in it. I just don't think that that's how it works. Whenever you are being a transformational force in the world, and this is very important what you're hoping to do, you too will change as you step into it, as you become it. 
ask anyone who's ever created anything on a scale that might be a little bit bigger than they're completely comfortable with. So sure, ask someone making a cake in the kitchen how they feel about making the cake. A lot of them will go, oh, it's fine, I've done the cake a load of times. But ask someone making a cake in the kitchen for the first time that they're gonna serve to their friends for coming, how's it going? Oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is going right, you know? So it doesn't really matter whether we're doing a big business or whether we're doing something else small and seemingly inconsequential we get into this relationship as creators with all of our selves and all the little voices and all the history. And that is the beauty of creating something, I believe. You know, I was a massive self-growth fan um, for so many years, and I still am a huge fan of, of self-growth. But what I've realized is if you keep creating enough stuff and keep creating in different ways, you won't really need to worry about going and finding self-growth because it will find you. And there's something beautiful about noticing that you're growing and that you're changing and that you're flowering in that way. So I wouldn't worry about the self-doubt, but on the days you feel overwhelmed or the days you feel like, oh, I just haven't got it today, the sooner you're kind to yourself, the sooner that will shift. So at this stage of the game, you know, I've been doing this a long time now, I've learned that on the days that I haven't got it, I should just rest. And usually if I rest for a few hours, I'll come back. Um, but in the past, I wasn't happy on, the, on, on those moments where I didn't have it, especially if I thought I had a schedule or there were people waiting. I'd get into all this, why can't you find your energy? Da, 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 da. You know, I'd kind of get into that fight with myself. And it's taken years to get to the point where I, I don't get into that fight with myself very often anymore. But there will still be echoes of it or there will still be moments. So. This is why it's good to get aware of your own stuff because it helps you lovingly parent yourself when it comes up again in the future. You're like, oh yeah, I did all that work around self-doubt and I figured out why did I doubt myself? Oh right, yeah, my family never believed in me and I never really had any positive role models who helped me trust myself. So I know I had this long-running, long-standing wound around doubting myself now I've kind of, if you like, proved to myself I can do it, but it doesn't mean that I don't still have that echo. So this is why figuring out your stuff as a creator, your triggers, your emotional vulnerability areas is really, really smart because you're not only healing, you're also, in a way, building a brighter future because you're like, oh yeah, I know I get triggered when X, Y, and Z line up. So as X, Y, and Z start lining up in your business, you can go, ah, this is where I speak to my mentor, speak to my friend, do a meditation, take a day off. You start to anticipate the kind of support you're gonna need while you're supporting this wonderful community that you want to create for. So it's a balance. So the thing that you're about to enter into is this beautiful relationship with the work that you're creating and it will create you, and it will recreate you, and it will give you opportunities to recreate yourself. So I commend you, it's a beautiful journey, just be kind to yourself as you go, and the fact that you're doing it is enough. And this last question is a favorite question for me, and I'll share why in a minute. How to release envy or jealousy from the body? Recently, I was hit with a wave of envy and jealousy. 
It felt so surprising for me that those feelings came up in me and that they were so strong. An old wound, it seems, and I'd like to release and heal it. Thank you. So some of you who are in the portal community or I can't remember which course I spoke about it and I think it was Rebirth 2021, you will have heard me address uh, a moment of envy I had on an aeroplane while watching a music documentary. And I was watching this music documentary a couple of years back um, and I felt all this envy as I was watching these incredible musicians having the time of their lives creating music and I realized I had in a way abandoned music and music was what I was doing 20 years ago. It was the path I was walking towards. So I felt the envy so viscerally that I was shocked because it was foreign to me at the time. But I also knew to trust what I was feeling and it was that it was a huge clue. And um, so long story short, on that aeroplane, I sat and I channeled for myself. And uh, I basically said to them, you know, what is this? Why, why am I experiencing this right now? And, they kind of said a few things to me, including, without music, your soul will crumble. So I was like, oh my God. So I got off that plane and I, in a way, had been given a huge permission slip to start to put some of my energy and time towards music again. Uh, something that my mind wanted to tell me, oh no, you haven't got time. You, you're doing all these things over here for the healing side. And, you, and, and of course, what you then have to do is renegotiate with your mind. But my point to you is envy and jealousy can be a huge clue. It's not about the other person because the other person, remember, is living a life you actually don't understand. Meaning, I remember I was working once with a woman who was very jealous of her friend and didn't like that she felt jealous of her friend. And then she was jealous of a very specific thing that this friend had. And she was like, well, she's got this husband and I really wanted a husband and they're a really good couple. And, and I was like, okay. And I asked her a few questions about the friend and it turned out the friend had had a really tough life. And also that the friend was going through some health, someone very, I think it was the, the mother of the friend had cancer. So when I pointed out the difference in their lives. I said, sure, she's got a husband, great, but look what you've got over here and look what she's also struggling with and dealing with. So that's one of her balance points in her life. That's one of her gifts. So you never need to feel bad about the envy that you're having towards someone else unless you're acting out on it because that's not good. But instead go, why? what is it about their situation that I feel I want? And how can I figure that out for myself? How can I create it? Because often we're envious, it can be a form of misdirected um, admiration. You know, we're admiring someone sometimes and we can feel it as envy because part of us feels like, well, I really admire that in them. I can't have that. I'm, I'm not allowed that. They've got that. I haven't got that. So I'm like, okay, well, how can you have that? How can you look at your life and go, oh, well, maybe I would like to put that on my vision board and I'd like to manifest that over the next year or two and I don't know how I'm going to but I'm going to trust that I'm going to I'm going to put it out there that I want to bring that into my life and then of course as with any journey we take all these steps and step one reveals itself and that's all we have to do so I got off that aeroplane and I did step one and then I did step two and then step three flowered and then step four and now here we are two years later and we've released two albums uh, and lots of singles and lots of music videos and it's been fun and we've we've had a great time and the people that we've put the music out for have enjoyed it so you know but I also had a lot to overcome 
around first seeing envy as a signal and then strategizing, okay, how do I bring this into my life? So I would say for you, don't feel any shame about the envy unless you're acting it out on someone else. Instead, just see it as a clue and something that you're being told you want to walk towards. So thank you for your question. So thank you everyone for tuning in for this Ask Me Anything show. And thank you to those of you who are watching Impact the World week after week and sending in really lovely and supportive messages and really proud of the fact that we've been going for 18 months now. And the show has been so rich for myself, for Wendy who produces it with me, for our whole team who work on it. So if you do want us to consider your question for the next time we do an Ask Me Anything episode, which will probably be in about six to eight weeks, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. And inside the review, please pop a question and we will be looking at all of them. Thank you so much. We will see you next time on Impact the World. Big love, everybody. Welcome to Transmissions 2021. We are bringing Transmissions back this summer because last year when we first presented it, it was not only our most popular offering ever, we had several thousand of you join us from around the world. It was a way that I and my team could bring some of the energy of Soul Magic, our annual retreat, to you in the comfort of your own home, more affordably and with no limit on how many people we could serve. So Transmissions is a metaphysical, intuitive and self-growth deep dive to allow you to cultivate more energy for your life and for you to bring to the world. The themes for this year are going to be joy, healing, expression, freedom and magic. The way that these topics are explored is through five live broadcasts where I will not only teach intuitively, but I will channel my guides the Z's. We provide transcripts, audio downloads of each session. There is an energy blueprint that you will receive ahead of the course starting where I write a document basically that I channel about what energies we're going to be cultivating, looking at, moving, releasing. We also have several supplemental materials and videos from members of my team. So there are meditations, there are videos that help you support yourself as you go through a journey like this. We also have the private members forum, which is away from social media, so you can privately share and discuss with all other members of the course. The final element of our transmissions courses is the music album that Devor Bozik and I create. This is both spoken word and music, and it's five 10-minute tracks. You may have seen that we've just publicly released last year's album, which we created for course members. So you can stream that right now on Spotify or wherever you get your music. But for this year, we will exclusively be bringing you Transmissions Volume 2, which will be available this year only to course members. So we invite you to check out the course page, read more details, and if it resonates for you to join us for Transmissions 2021, we would love to welcome you aboard.